God has put an absolute ferocity in my heart for the love of God this morning. That's what I want to preach on. Absolute ferocity. Just, there's a fierceness in the Bible about the love of, that He has. And so that's what I want to preach on this morning. We, um, for the last seven weeks, we have been busy with the big questions of God. We've been going through a series called Ever Wonder Why? And, and today we bring that series to a close. I'll be preaching the last message from that series. And we're going to look at, does God love me? I know He loves me. The question is actually, does He love you? I'm absolutely convinced that He loves me. The question is, does He love you? Does He love you? How do you know that He loves you? And, you know, before we can even get to that topic, we need to have maybe have a look and see what love is. Because in the world, it seems like love is attached to any positive emotion. And before this series, I preached a message, and I, and I said to you, when we look at concepts that God has invented, God has designed, marriage, gender, sex, identity, we need to go and find out what God says about it. Yeah? Otherwise, what happens is that we will determine what the definition of a biblical concept is by ourselves. And love is one of those words. So in the last two to three months, who has had a picture of the booker on their WhatsApp profile or WhatsApp status? Anybody? I know Natalie Sharp has. Anyone else? Put it up. Put your hands up. Come on, there are only three truthful people here. The rest of you are liars. Come on, put your hands up. There are people, we've loved the booker. We have loved the booker. We've loved the Springboks. We've loved them. As a nation, there is just love for the Springboks. But actually, when the Springboks get crushed by a minnow team, and we actually find out that Jacques is the real brains behind it and not Rassi, we're going to stop loving them, and then we're going to unlove them, because that's actually not love, that's just elation, and it's just national pride. It's actually just an emotion that we feel, but people love the Springboks. Or you could be in love with the person that you're dating or you're flirting with, possibly because they're attractive, there's an attractiveness about them, it might be a sensual attraction, they're not bad things, it might be chemistry, it's not a bad thing, it's a good thing, it's designed by God, but it might not be love, it actually might just be sexual attraction, or attraction, it's an emotion. If you drive up Biffelsfontein, I've got a client at the top of Biffelsfontein, so I've been driving up there every single day. There are posters all the way up Biffelsfontein advertising Loveland. It's an adult sex shop. So your possible definition of love could actually be illicit sex or erotic sex. That could be love, because in the world that seems to be an expression of love. But that's not really love, that's lust. So the question is, what is love? Because if we're going to answer the question, does God really love us, we need to know what love is. John Piper puts it like this. I like this analogy. I want to share it with you. Anyone, everyone is familiar with tennis? Everybody, surely. Understand tennis. Okay, except for you. We'll talk afterwards. John Piper says, when we play tennis, we play on a tennis court. So the tennis court's got tramways, it's got a service box, it's got a baseline, and it's got a net. So when we play tennis with each other, we play within the boundaries on that tennis court. You with me? I mean, that's fair. That's a fair statement. And the reason we do it is so we know when the ball's in or out. 
The minute we remove the boundaries, the minute we remove the baseline, the tramways, the service park, and the net, and we start playing against each other, we're actually no longer playing tennis. I don't know what we're playing, but we're not playing tennis. You see, because I could hit to you, and you could hit back to me, and I can say that was in, and you'll say it's out. How do we know? How do we know? And it's the same with biblical concepts and definitions. We have to play within certain defined boundaries. As Christian people, we have to have a framework within which to play this game. Otherwise, your definition of love and my definition of love are going to be completely different, which then would fail to answer the question, does God actually love me? Because your perception will be different to mine. Your experience will be different to mine. And this has come across in two different meetings I've had in the last couple of weeks since I last preached. I met with a man named Charles. He's about 50 now. He was a Methodist youth pastor. And we had a Bible study and we were going through Mark chapter 1. There's a scripture where it says Jesus went into, be the, into the desert to be tempted by Satan. And so we ended up having quite a heated discussion about the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness and good and evil. And he said to me, he doesn't believe in good and evil. He believes that people are born holy and blameless. And because of their background, because of their upbringing, because of abuse, because of their nurturing, they are corrupted into a sinful way of living. And I said to him, he's wrong. I said, where did you get your information? And he said, I'm basing it on my human experience or human philosophy. So now we're not playing tennis with each other because I'm actually trying to explain a biblical concept and he's explaining it to me in terms of human philosophy. Yeah? Then I went and I had another meeting with a client of mine, a young guy, wealthy guy. Phoned me, he said he needs to talk to me. I said, what for? He said he's having a faith crisis. He's a born again. And we were discussing foundational stuff, not, not deep theology, which I have no experience in, foundational stuff. Jesus died on the cross for your sins, that kind of foundational stuff. And he said he finds it hard to swallow. So he's asking me a lot of questions, and eventually I had to say to him, Franchot, where are you getting your information from? And he said, I'm getting it on the internet, online. You see, now we're not playing tennis either, because I'm speaking to him from the Word of God, and he's trying to argue with me on second-hand revelation. So we have to define things within the boundaries of the Bible. The Word of God has to be the place where we're going to discuss love. And if we can get to that concretely, we'll know if God loves us. Is that fair? Okay, cool. Can I have that? Thank you. Thanks. Okay, so this is what we're going to do. I know it's nearly December, and I know it's hot. What I want to do is I want to put up big portions of Scripture on the screen. And we are going to read them out loud. The whole church, we're going to read them. And then I'm going to go through about 20 statements that I believe point to the love of God in the Scriptures. Okay, We're going to read them aloud. And the reason we're going to do that is so that I, I don't want you to leave here going, this was a good preach or a bad preach. I don't care what you think. God loves me. makes no difference. But I want you to have a revelation for yourself of the love of God, from the Word of God. So it's not a second-hand revelation, and it's not human philosophy. It's actually public portions of Scripture. I think it amounts to about 25 verses. We'll go slowly. All right, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to read them aloud, then we're going to unpack them, and then we're going to close. All right, Kathy, Ephesians 1, verse 3 to 8. It's going to be up on the board, and we are reading from the NRV version. All right, you ready? <clears throat> okay. 
Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In? He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will, to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has freely given us in the one He? In Him. We have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. All right, a couple of points. Number one, you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. That's what it says. Number two, you are chosen to be holy and blameless in His sight. You are chosen to be holy and blameless in in his sight. Being holy and blameless has nothing to do with your behavior. If you believe that, you, you are under a religion problem. It has nothing to do with your behavior. Love is a position. It is not an emotion. It is a position. You stand in the love of Christ. It's a position. You are positioned in Jesus. He paid for it. He's done it. It's his blood that's made you holy and blameless. It's got nothing to do with your conduct. Absolutely nothing. I did a wedding a few weeks ago, and in the wedding vows, which predominantly come from Ephesians, they predominantly, they're biblical. Wedding vows are biblical. It is a covenantal promise that two people make. One of the vows that gets spoken is that you will love that person for better or? Exactly. So if you have a bad day, bad week, bad year, you've sinned, you're so far from God, I want you to know you're still in the love of God. You are holy and blameless. That's what the Bible says. Number three, we have been predestined. As Grant spoke, he stood here and he quoted that verse. We've been predestined. That means you have been chosen by divine will. You have been hand-selected by divine will of God. Every person here who's a born-again believer has, has been selected and chosen by divine will of God. It says that he has adopted us as sons and daughters. You didn't adopt yourself, you can't unadopt yourself. People sometimes think they've got so far from Jesus, they must, no, you can't do that. You didn't adopt yourself, you didn't choose yourself, you can't unchoose yourself, you can't unadopt yourself. He signed the papers, he's paid with the blood of his son, it is complete, it is finished. I want to stop here and I want to add something. This is a message of grace alone. I'm not preaching obedience and I'm not preaching holiness today. We are just preaching grace alone, in Christ alone, through faith alone, in the scriptures alone. That's it. That is it. Number four, it is a free gift in Jesus Christ. You cannot do anything to earn it. Absolutely nothing. It is free. You simply have to receive it. Number five, in him, that's the one that he loves. In him, we have, you and I, the redemption through His blood, and the forgiveness of sins through the riches of God's grace. I want to tell you that my God has an inexhaustible supply of riches. It is inexhaustible. That means it cannot ever be exhausted, which means your, exhaust, your, your forgiveness is paid for in full because you cannot exhaust His grace. It's not possible. That's how rich He is in grace and mercy. You are completely, completely forgiven, completely redeemed because of his love. 
Ephesians 2, 1 to 9. Let's read. Right, you ready? Okay, let's keep going. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of His great... God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages... Expressed in kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Number six, you and I were dead in our transgressions. We were dead. We were dead. Bible says, I'm fully alive and you are fully alive. Because of his great love, we're alive. We are joyfully, wildly, radically made alive forever. Number seven, Because of this great love, He has saved us from God. He has saved us from His own wrath. He's also saved us from our own sin. He's also saved us from our own lusts, our own addictions. Even if you're struggling with it, He saved you from it. He has saved you from the ruler of the kingdom of the air. That's Satan. That's the one who rules everything that we breathe in now. All media, all television, all communication. That's the one who's ruling right now. He saved us from that one. Number eight. We have been raised and seated with Christ. This is a biblical fact for Christians. It's a biblical fact. You see, it sounds so airy-fairy when people say, well, you've been raised and seated with Christ. It sounds so churchy. There's a fact that you are raised and seated. He has raised you to life. He has resurrected you. You were dead in your transgressions. And He's resurrected you and He's seated you with Jesus. I have an inheritance. I have a place in heaven with the Father. That's what the Bible tells me. Number nine, this is because God has expressed the ultimate kindness to us. It says that God is kind. This scripture tells us that God is kind. 1 Corinthians 13, which often gets quoted at weddings, says love is kind. That's a scripture about Jesus. Number 10, because of his great love, he has placed faith in our hearts. This is mind-bending stuff. That means... That means that God has actually placed faith in your heart so that you can respond to Him. See, we think we've chosen God. We sometimes think we come to church like we chose you, God. No, no, you didn't choose Him. He chose you before the creation of the world, tells us. He even places faith in you to respond to Him. It's incredible. He's done it all for us. We've done absolutely nothing. Done nothing. He places faith in our hearts so that we can enter into a relationship with Him. That's how magnificent He is. Faith comes by hearing the Word. That's why you come to sit under the preaching of the Word. It's because faith comes. We build faith this way, but He's the one that places it there. Right, Kathy, next slide. Ephesians 13, 14 to 19. I only got 11 more to go. Okay. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. 
I pray that out of His glorious riches, He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know that this love surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all fullness in God. Number 11, in the Old Testament, God is called Elohim, He is called El Shaddai, He is called Jehovah, but in the last days now, He tells us to call Him Father. It's the picture of identity and safety and security and provision. He says, call me Father. It is the ultimate picture of love in the Bible. Number 12, in love, He's brought you into a family. We are in a family He's brought us into community. He's brought us into wholeness. He's brought us into reconciliation with Him. He's brought different people, different backgrounds, different races, different tribes, different tongues, and He's put us all together in a family. He does that in love. He's a father. Number 13, God gives us His power, gives us power by His Spirit, so that Christ can be sovereign in your hearts. That's what it says, that that Jesus can be sovereign in your hearts. The reason he does that is later on in Ephesians, it says that the devil wants a foothold in your life. So the devil wants a foothold. And so this prayer is that you would have power that Christ will be sovereign, will be absolutely sovereign above all things. Because the devil sometimes, and some it's back into my life. That's the prayer. Number 14, in love, you get rooted and established. That means that you are secure in Christ. That means you are safe in Him. That means you are anchored in Him. That means you are set on a firm foundation. So you don't have to get rattled and tossed about by the waves. You don't have to worry about South Africa or the economy or the EFF or wondering if Australia is actually just a better bet for you. You don't have to worry. You are rooted and established in Him. You are safe and secure. That's what the love of God does. Number 15, God gives us His power to grasp His love. Most of us, the problem is not, is not understanding the love of God. It's actually believing it. It's actually believing it's that good. It's actually receiving it. We just battle to receive. We keep striving for things. We keep working for things. But this, this scripture says you've done absolutely nothing. I've done absolutely nothing to deserve this. Number 16. God wants you to know the extent of his love. He gives us parameters to work with, and He just says, you will never understand. I want you to know. I want you to know how deep it is and how wide it is and how long it is and how high it is. In Psalm 139, it says, where can I go from your presence? And that is fantastic news. That is means when you've had the absolute worst year of your life, you need to know you can't ever escape Him. His, his love is sufficient. It's just wider than you can imagine. It's deeper. It's higher. It's longer. It's all-encompassing. Number 17. This love is so massive that it surpasses knowledge. And we've got to be okay with that sometimes, that God's love is so incredible that it actually just, it's, it's unfathomable. We live in such a performance age where we somehow think we can earn this love of God. Number 18. This love takes empty people and makes them full. It says if if you're in Christ, the love will make you full. 
If you're completely empty, if you're completely broken, it will make you full. If you're broken, it will make you whole. If you are empty, it will make you full. It says you will be filled to the fullness of God. That's the love of Christ. Number 19, two more to go. All of this happens in Ephesians, and it gets to Ephesians chapter 5, and it says, it says, imitate God and live like dearly beloved children. You know the problem with us is that we live by human experience, and we live by human philosophy, and we spend too much time trying to get information about ourselves and our existence from the internet. The Bible says we must live like the kids 15 meters down here, 15 meters away, the chosen ones. That's what it says. That's why they're called chosen ones. Chantel named it. But it comes from the Bible. That's how we're supposed to live. We're supposed to trust Him. We're supposed to believe in Him. Kids will receive things. That's why we teach our children, don't take stuff from strangers. God says, that's the way I want you to be with me. I want you to trust me completely, like a child. He tells you, be like a child. Because it's so complicated for us to understand that He would love us, that He would do all of this for us, that He would sacrifice that he would give. It's so hard for us to understand. And he says, I just want you to trust me. That's why they teach that song. Jesus loves me. This I know for the? Exactly. Number 19. If you want to know if God loves you, he tells you. He tells you. You just got to believe it. Number 20. This love surpasses knowledge. It surpasses knowledge. It actually surpasses sometimes the 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 way that we think about things in our brains. How many of you have hated somebody? I'm going to put my hand up. Come on, let's see who the liars are. We'll have to do a series next year on lying. I've hated someone in my heart. I don't anymore, but I have. You know, if you hate someone, you won't even give them the time of day. You won't give someone you hate anything. Nothing. Just nothing. You'll give them nothing. This scripture says that we were by nature children of wrath. We were by nature children of hate. We hated God. My friend Charles tried to convince me that, that people are inherently good and then become evil. That's false. The Bible says that we are children of wrath. You are by nature a child of wrath. You are by nature hostile to God. Hostile. You hated Him. And it says, even while we were still sinners, God gave. He gave. Even when we hated Him, He gave. We wouldn't do that. We wouldn't do that. For those of you who've been here in the last few weeks, you know that Nick had an operation on his hands on carpal tunnel. He had carpal tunnel syndrome, and he had an operation on both of his hands, and you would have seen the bandages and the scars and the stitches, and we had an elders meeting, and he told us that the pain in those hands was incredible after the operation, and he had to have painkillers. And when he said it, and when he showed us his hands, I thought, the God of the Bible nailed his son to a cross through his hands without opioids and without anesthetic. He nailed him there for me. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his son, his son, so that whoever believes will not perish but have eternal life. That's the ultimate expression of love. He loved us so, in spite of our hatred for him, that he gave his one and only son. 
And then he said this. He said, I just, I simply need you to believe it. I simply need you to believe it. I've done it all for you. I've done it all and placed faith in your heart to receive me. I just need you to believe. I want you to receive this message. It's not about your work or your performance or your behavior. It's just about receiving. So that you could and so I could be blessed with every spiritual blessing, be chosen in Him before the creation of the world, be completely redeemed, completely forgiven. We could be made alive after being dead. We could be saved. We could be raised and seated with Jesus Christ. We could be adopted into a family by our Father. We could be rooted and established in love. We could be given sustaining power. And we could be made full when we were empty. And we could be made whole when we were broken. See, that is the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's what love is in the Bible. And it is magnificent. And it is outrageous. And it is abundant. And it is exorbitant. And it's amazing. And it's called amazing grace. Does God really love me? Does God really love you? How do you know? Excellent. Excellent. That was the whole point of my message. <laughs> For 20 minutes. That's all I wanted to go was there. I need to ask this morning. These, this that we preach... The benefits that we preach, the love of God that we preach, it's available to all. But you have to receive it. You have to receive it. He, he says, I want you to receive it. I want you to believe in me and receive it. I want you to believe that I gave my son for you. And I want you to believe it. And the minute you believe it, these all become true and yes and amen in your life. And so I want to know this morning, if there's someone here that has never, ever, ever given their lives to Jesus, if this has resonated in your heart, we can't fabricate this thing. If you feel like this morning is this morning, you need to make a decision for Jesus. You've realized there's no other way to the Father except through the Son. There is no other way to experience the love of God. There's no other way to experience the favor of God. There's no other way to be raised and seated with Him. I want you to put your hand up. You don't have to come to the front. I just want you to put your hand up. We're going to pray for you. If there's someone here who's never been saved before. You've never made that commitment. I'm not trying to embarrass you, but I lost a friend on Friday. An elderly lady, I've been praying with her. I've been spending time with her, and she died of cancer on Friday. And all I want for her was to be saved. And she had strong Catholic convictions, and she was a strong Catholic woman. And I used to go to her house and pray with her and tell her the gospel. I used to just share it in her house. And she died. And, and on Friday, I had a moment where I just wondered, God, did she, did, did she receive this? Did she receive this word? I, I've been praying, like, will you give me a sign? I know it's silly. I shouldn't even admit that. Yeah. But, but I, be, I just want to know, am I going to see her again? And I don't want anyone ever to lose out. I don't want anyone ever to lose out. So I'm going to ask once more, but otherwise you can see me afterwards. If there's someone here this morning, any of the newcomers or anyone here, I don't care if you grew up in a religious home, a ministry home, it makes no difference to me. No difference. He's calling sons and daughters back to him. Is there anyone that wants to make that commitment this morning? All right, can I have the music team up, please? <clears throat>